Maui. Um, and, and that would be the, the power of assumption. I believe that there's a disease in our society that has been uh, rampant for quite some time that has come to the surface even more so in the midst of uh, COVID and the political climate. And, and that's that uh, the disease of assumption is completely ravaging our culture. Um, the quest for meaning is probably the thing that all of us are questioning and processing the most right now. I have I have feel like I have come across more people that are really trying to figure out both in the church and outside of it what's really the meaning of my life and where am I going after and why do I live here or what am I doing with my job or my spouse or or my my state of life that is going somewhere my quest for meaning and yet this reality of assumption what do they say about assumption I, if we would have released the kids I would have I would have said the you know. Yeah, I would have said it because it's in the Bible. Jesus told them to go get an ASS, and I'm going to write into it. So it's a biblical word. But assumption, we all know the, the phrase. It makes an ASS out of you and out of me. Assumption. So the, the message today, I tried to make it as simple as I possibly could. Uh, we've got a problem in society, and that's that we assume the worst about each other. I know that that hasn't felt maybe like true, um, but... But I have felt that I have been caught with assuming the worst about people. And if I have, as holy and perfect as I am, there could be a slight chance that there's someone else here that needs to hear this today. Just saying. Okay. The problem, we assume the worst. But the goal, the goal is actually to assume responsibility. And, and I believe that the starting place of that, where do we even start, is to actually assume that you're wrong. I, and if the church can start realizing that our goal is to take responsibility, to assume responsibility, and that we're only going to start when we start assuming that there's something in the way I'm doing it or my process or maybe whatever I'm going through that is actually wrong, we're not going to be taken lightly like we have been, or we're not going to be misunderstood in the way that we have been. It starts with the fact that we have misunderstood because we have assumed, and we have made ourselves donkeys. Okay, so first, first point. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I, I was going back and forth whether to give you this example, um, because it's kind of political, but the goal is not actually to get political. Is that okay if I give a political thing? Do not hold me to my politics on this example. Okay. So we had we had a this is a this was an exchange I saw on social media between two amazing human beings that love Jesus that do not live in this community. So stop looking to your left and your right when you see um, this example. And the the thing that I saw is is simply your whatever wherever you identify politically, you're going to start to hear some things. But I don't want you to hear like, hey, do I whatever or what side you're trying to see. I just want you to see that there might be some assumption, and even if there's not, how the posture isn't helpful, even if you agree with the person that sounds a little yucky. Okay? Fair. Okay, fair. And some of you are like, let's see, I'm not saying anything until I hear what he has to say. Fine. So this friend essentially said this, I'm going to be deleting my account later today. A few people have been deleting accounts recently. 
I've enjoyed the, the years that I've been able to connect with family and friends through this service. By the way, this, this account is gone. You can't even find this on the internet anymore. I took a screenshot. This person says, it's time to find a new space to connect. I much prefer face-to-face. -face. I value the right to freedom of speech, and that value and right has been violated by Facebook. I believe we all deserve the right to free speech. Even if we don't agree with one another, I pray blessings upon blessings upon you all. Much love. And then she goes, I, sh I shared with my kids about my decision, and this is what they each said. And said, one said, goodbye, one said, good luck, and one didn't want to say anything. Okay, so that was the post, right? And already some of you are like, uh, some of you are like, yeah, that's right, I deleted my account too. You should all do the same exact thing. And then some of you are like, I roll on many levels, right? So just take a chill pill. Just worship Jesus together if you need to right now. Have a little spirit pause. Okay. And, and, then, and then this was the response, by the way, of a wonderfully loving Jesus lover. This was her response to this post. Good freaking Lord, not allowing conspiracy theories or violent hate speech to run rampant is not a violation of your freedom of speech. Preventing a tyrant from destroying our democracy is not suppression of your freedom of speech. This post just speaks to your speak, to your unchecked privilege. I'm sorry that so-and-so was wrong in their prophecy. Jesus was, in fact, a brown man who was killed by the state. Get off your high horse. Period. Hey, she's probably right about half of that or more. I don't know. But what's the, well, I'm not, I'm just saying if you, I mean, there, I, there's, the point is not to pick apart what she was right or wrong about. The point is the tone. The point is the posture. The point is what she assumed about the tone and heart and the posture of the other person. No, I'm not going to share what I said. No, that's not the point. So, just, I was just trying to be a peacemaker like my brother, because I'm not naturally one. Okay, so, so again, that's not a political statement. I want us to just be reminded of, to me, I actually was messed up for days, not because I was trying to figure out who was right or who was wrong or what you should do or what, it was that I just couldn't get their faces out of my head, if I'm being honest. I couldn't get the faces of two people that I knew loved Jesus. And then maybe if they even had the proximity to interact with how their hearts were feeling, that this isn't what the conversation would look like. What has our assumption done to us in the middle of our proximity being violated from the people that we love, from the people that are on our family? This is messed up. I'm not saying that this person that unleashed her frustration is messed up. No, I'm, I'm saying that we've got a dysfunctional family right now. And every single one of us need to look ourselves in the mirror. So I want to start with another story. Uh, I, I read this to a couple of guys that were in my group um, earlier in the week, at least part of it. Uh, I've been reading this book. It's called Tribe. It has nothing to do with tribalism. In fact, I think it's one of the answers to push against tribalism, which is the negative formation of tribes. But this book, it, it gets on this. And, and um, this, this author, Sebastian uh, Younger, says, we have a strong instinct. This is not a believer. He goes, we have a strong instinct to belong to small groups defined by clear purpose and understanding. He calls them tribes. This tribal connection has been largely lost in modern society, but regaining it may be the key to our psychological survival. And then he mentions our, one of our founding fathers, Benjamin Franklin. He lamented over the reality that, 
English settlers were constantly fleeing over to the Indians, but the Indians almost never did the same. There were thousands upon thousands. I went up and looked this up. There were thousands of, of people coming over from Europe that went and joined the natives in their way of life. And they couldn't find a single example where the natives did the same. Tribal society has been exerting an almost gravitational pull on Westerners for hundreds of years. And the reason lies deep in our evolutionary past as a communal species. Of course, this is not a biblical perspective. They're simply saying our evolutionary realities as human beings uh, shows that we have communal species. But we yet know, we say this just declares the realities of the kingdom. We know that we're communal species. And that's good. And the most recent example of that attraction is combat veterans who, who come home to find themselves missing the incredibly intimate bonds of platoon life. The loss of closeness that comes at the end of deployment may help explain the high rates of post-traumatic stress disorder suffered by military veterans today. Then he goes on to say, this concept of tribe, it explores what we can learn from tribal societies about loyalty, belonging, and the eternal quest for meaning. It explains the irony that for many veterans, as well as civilians, war feels better than peace. Adversity can turn out to be a blessing, and disasters are sometimes remembered more fondly than weddings or tropical vacations. Can you remember some of the times in your life where you went through something really tough with others, and there's something in your heart that kind of longs for that communal bond that happens in the midst of a challenge or adversity? This concept of tribe explains why we are stronger when we come together and how that can be achieved even in today's divided world. He goes on to tell this story where he was in a situation. He lived in a small town. And nothing ever happened in that small town. He, he, he realized that, that something, um, he just longed for something to happen. Uh, he, he, he eventually goes off and he's hitchhiking across the country. But he goes, he did this simply because he realized, I just wanted something to rip through my town. I wanted a tornado, a hurricane, or something that would require all of us to band together to survive. Something that would make us feel like a tribe. What I wanted wasn't destruction and mayhem, but the opposite. I wanted solidarity. I wanted the chance to prove my worth. Because that's the other aspect of the human condition is when we are stuck, isolated, and alone in our shame. The number one emotion, you can look up Renee Brown, what is it that comes out? Your worth. Am I worthy? Is the absolute question that every human wants to answer about themselves. Is there worth? I wanted the chance to prove my worth to my community and my, my peers, but I lived in a time and place where nothing dangerous ever happened. Surely this was, new, was not new in the human experience. But this is what he asked. How do I become an adult in a society that doesn't ask for sacrifice? That pricked my heart a little bit. So I'll say it again. How do you become an adult in a society that doesn't ask for sacrifice? We don't ask for sacrifice. How do you become a man, in his case, in a world that doesn't require courage? But that goes for everyone. So what did he do? He goes, I, need, I needed to release some kind of control, so he decided to, to hitchhike to where? Here. <laughs> Why not come to California? And on the way, he tells this story 
about how he's somewhere in Wyoming, and he's, he's walking along the freeway trying to, to get a ride, and he sees this squirrely man coming towards him off the on-ramp from town. And the guy walks up to him, and, and he's, he's feeling like this is not going to go down well. He's kind of isolated. He's got a backpack. He has actually about a, plenty of food, a week worth of food. He's got his camping gear. He's ready to go. This guy comes up. He goes, where are you going? He goes to California. The guy goes, uh, how much food you got? He goes, uh, I'm not going to tell him. So he goes, I've got some cheese. And the guy goes, that's, that's not going to make you very far. And then he's thinking he's about to have it on. And the guy basically goes, I saw you from town. Apparently the guy uh, literally walks into town because he doesn't have a working car. And he tries to get work at like a service station or something. And, and this is what the guy said. He goes, he goes some, some days he got work, some days he didn't. This is one of those days that he didn't. And he goes, so I won't be needing this, he says, opening his black lunchbox. I saw you from town, just wanted to make sure you were okay. The box contained a bologna sandwich, an apple, and a bag of chips. The food had probably come from a local church. He had no idea. He had no choice but to what? Take it. He didn't want to admit I was lying. <laughs> I actually have food. I was just afraid you were going to kill me. So he took it. Thanked him, put the food in his pack, and he, and he wished him luck. Then, then the guy turned and made his way back onto the ramp toward town. And this is the thing that struck me. The writer goes, I thought about that man for the rest of my trip. And then he goes, I thought about that man for the rest of my life. He'd been generous, yes, but lots of people are generous. What made him different was the fact that he took responsibility for me. He took responsibility for me. And he said, this concept of tribe is about the why. It's, it's hard to define, but it might start with the people you feel compelled to share your last meal with or the last amount of food that you have with. Who's your tribe? I think the people of... of of following Jesus are those kinds of people that look around for the people that they're going to take care of when no one else does. That's, that's been our DNA for thousands of years. But I want to remind us why this is important. What can we learn from societies where, where there's loyalty and belonging in this human quest for meaning? He goes, it's about why for many people war feels better than peace and hardship can turn out to be a great blessing and disasters are sometimes remembered more fondly than weddings or tropical vacations. Humans don't mind hardship in fact, they thrive on it. What they mind is not feeling necessary. Modern society has perfected the art of making people not feel necessary. And it's time for that to end. And I would like to propose to us today. That will start when we assume responsibility. For the people on our left and our right, it starts here. We see in the early church, after Pentecost... The thing that defined them was how they took care of each other. The thing that struck fear in the people around them was what happened when that was violated. Ananias and Sapphira. <laughs> if you don't know the story, it's in the beginning of Acts. You can go back and read it. I'm not going to go in there today. But I want us to remember our goal is to assume responsibility as the people of God. This story simply resonates with how we are wired as humanity. Even when we are living homeless and are in the state of life that we have to then hope we have work to provide for our own next meal, 
when we see someone in need, your ability to take responsibility for them really tells you about your self-worth. There was something about this man in the middle of Wyoming that was still in the state of mind where he could see someone else in need and still say, that guy has it worse than I do. I've got something worth giving. That just struck me to the core. Do you know how many of us struggle so deeply with self-esteem that we don't actually feel like we've got something to give to the person to the left and the right? Do you know that we live in a society that is most depressed in human history and we've got more stuff to give than in ever in the history of humanity? In fact, they say, this was an interesting stat. I, this messed me up. Um, and I still don't actually know fully how to do this and reconcile this. Um, if you didn't know, I'm a white man. That's not super popular these days, I understand, um, politically and everything else. It's a little bit of a joke. That was like real silent, people. It's like, give me a little tension shift. Okay. Uh, so so w- there, there's a real reality in society, right? The white man has gotten the better egg for like a little bit now. Truth. Truth. Um, and on top of that, I also like got tall like the tall white man. I, I'm like everything that you can possibly like be that might, people might like, hey, I get that. Um, but to maybe make you feel a little bit better, it's, it's also a fact that the white man is the most depressed. The white man of 2021 is the most depressed in human history. Why? Because he got all the advantages and it still doesn't bring meaning to life. And I'm not making a point towards we don't need to address the power structures that are at bay. But what I am saying is if the goal is to become a white man, it's not as good as it's cracked up to be. Most depressed in human history. No excuses, all the advantages, all the opportunities. We need to assume responsibility. I need to assume responsibility because I've been assuming the worst. I I read this article called The False Gospel of Assuming the Worst of Others. I posted it earlier this week, if you would like to read it. And and essentially, it goes um, something like this. We have this syndrome. This guy calls it, I don't want to have time to go into it. He calls it the Kathy Newman syndrome. Um, But what he essentially says is, this has become a serious existential threat to the unity of the church. We tar and feather any dissonant idea with the absolute worst ideologies we can imagine. And he gives some examples. He goes, when someone says racism is still a problem, what do we do? We say, oh, so you're saying we should abandon the gospel and embrace neo-Marxism, for example. Is that what they're saying? Still very silent. Okay, this is going to be awkward. Fine. Uh, Another person might say, we need to keep the gospel first. And then someone would go, oh, so you're saying we should just shrug our shoulders at injustice. Someone else might say black lives matter. And then someone else might say to them, so you're denying that all lives matter. That's a really annoying one when I've heard that, by the way. The fact that over 70% of black children are born without married parents in the home should matter to us. And then someone else says, so you're saying you're a victim-blaming racist and black people's problems are completely their fault. Marriage is, I'm quoting someone else, so if you don't like any of the things I'm giving, they're examples in an article. I'm just wanting to make that clear, right? These are not my examples. I can feel perspiration. Okay. Marriage is a complementary union between a male and a female, someone might say. Someone else then responds, so you're saying you hate gay people. 
Someone else might say, during the COVID-19 pandemic, we should shelter in place to protect the most vulnerable. And someone else says to them, so you're saying that you're, an anti you're anti-freedom and you want us to all bow to your tyranny. Someone else might say, it's the last one. We should reopen the economy to help those whose livelihoods and mental health are being devastated by quarantine. Oh, so you're saying that uh, you want the virus to spread and more grandmas to die. Just some examples of, of how, maybe some extreme tones. We've all seen these discussions take place, haven't we, in the last year? Yeah. So here's, here's just four points that I've kind of like revised from this um, article by um, uh, Professor Thaddeus Williams. He's at Biola, actually. And, and I think that they're kind of helpful for us to look, at, to look at our goal, to look at our problem, and to look to where to start. Four points and problems. Number one, let's ask instead of assume. So this effect that he calls it erases the creator-creature distinction, claiming that an omniscient gaze, or God, like I can gaze like God, I can see people like God does into others' hearts, and that you're claiming to have on yourself the ability to look at people omnisciently like God Almighty. I have that ability like I'm a God. When you assume that, you're an idiot, he says, sort of. He says, John 2.25 says, tell us that, tells us that Jesus knew what was in man. As the God-man, he could see through people's shabby or shiny exteriors to the true motives of their hearts. But I and you, we're not God incarnate. We need the humility to stop pretending that we have infallible knowledge of other people's motives, especially when we engage brothers and sisters in the social justice controversies of our day. It's better to ask people about what makes them tick or ticked off rather than assume it. That's part of what it means to obey Scripture's command to be quick to hear, according to James, the brother of Jesus. So we ask instead of assume, number one. Number two, stop slander. Just stop it. Let's call this what it is. What is slander? It's the action or crime of making a false spoken statement damaging to a person's reputation. Over and over again, the Bible bans slander and bearing false witness. What is that? You have this second greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, Matthew 22. We've all been called names. We've had, we've had our words twisted into the most damning interpretations possible, and we've all been branded with labels that distort who we really are. No one likes it, so stop it. We must stop going along with the slanderous status quo and call such behavior what it is. We must stop going along with this, and it needs to start with you and I. Number three, uh, assuming undermines unity. In John 17, Jesus asked the Father that believers would be one, that there would be such depth and authenticity to Christian love that the watching world would take Jesus' messianic claims seriously. It's really hard to take the church seriously when we look how we currently look. When we play the so you're saying game, when we assume any Christian to our left is a neo-Marxist snowflake and any Christian to our right is a patriarchal white supremacist, it's really hard to see the unity. That also doesn't mean there aren't those. Let's also call the fact that there are some white supremacists around and there are some neo-Marxists around. Let's not ignore it. Let's, start as let's stop assuming and start asking. Number four, finally, you're playing with a false gospel when you do this. 
Elizabeth Nolan Brown cites psychological research that the kind of moral outrage we typically classify as altruistic is often a function of self, your own self-interest. Wielded to assuage feelings of personal culpability by societal harms are reinforced to the self and others, one's own status as a what? A very good person. So what is she saying? You're playing with a false gospel when you, when you are constantly placing guilt on other people. They are the bigots. They are the phobics. They are the fascists. They are the white supremacists. They are the communists. This offers a subjective sense of something that may feel close to and yet is very far from what Christ actually does with the gospel. You think you are doing what Jesus is doing, but you are not. Rather than our justification coming from Christ alone, we seek not our own not guilty verdict by transferring all guilt onto the other side of the socio-political spectrum. When we project evil onto others to feel like good people ourselves, we're looking to something other than Jesus for our moral status. I'd like to think I don't need anyone but Jesus for my moral status. I can. When we project evil onto others to feel like good people ourselves, we're looking to something other than Jesus for our moral status. And that, my friends, is a false gospel. And a most pervasive and seductive one in a time of nonstop social media outrage. Posturing is not contending. Your posture is very important. And he, he says this, the, the writer of this article that I've, I've kind of navigated through and added some of my own flavor. But, but he says, don't get me wrong, there are some bad ideas making their way into the church. There's real racism, real Marxism, and other deeply anti-gospelisms we must stand against and unite against. Exposing false ideologies that take people captive is actually a mark of biblical love. But the Bible doesn't suggest, it commands us to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints in Jude. And when we practice this effect, these four points, though we're, we're not contending for the historic faith, this is a false gospel. We're just conforming to the splintered and self-righteous spirit of the age. So what? Our posture has to change. Our posture has to change. So again, what's the goal? The goal, assume responsibility. The problem, we're assuming the worst. And how do we start? We start with assuming that I'm wrong, that I'm wrong. I've done a lot of reading today, but I want to do one more thing. And I just want this to kind of cut our hearts. James, you can even start to come up and play if you want. I want you to just really um, take this in. Even just close your eyes. And I just want us to internalize some of the stuff the Lord might be highlighting today in each one of us. This guy named Tim Shorey, I also posted this in a different day and site. I've been mulling on this all week. How to assume you are wrong. I want us to just close our eyes, and I want you to find the ways that you've been wrong. 
because I've had to do this. And it, it's okay. I'm gonna just be real. It'll suck. The other side of the the sucking feeling is gonna be good. Just put a smile on your face and allow yourself to admit that you're wrong, like I had to do. Assume you are wrong. Fools have no self-doubt, while the wise are always learning. If I disagree with you, I should assume the presence of ignorance, not in you, but in me. The wisdom that is from above is open to reason, James 3.17. This means that if I'm wise, I can be persuaded, which means I'm teachable, which means I know I have to learn, which means I assume I'm at least partly wrong. We all tend to turn the debatable into the dogmatic, be it politics, education, or whether good Christians should drink alcohol or watch Harry Potter. You can be sure we have opinions and we're sure of them. Herein lies much of our current crisis. But here's kind of a a climate change that we for sure all need. The infusion of humble, relational air into every single sphere of life. If each of us secure in God's justifying grace, dared to assume we might be wrong, much of today's rancorous discourse would come to a swift and powerful end. The good news creates space for fearless conversations. It frees us from the proud assumption that we have to be right and from the paralyzing fear that we might never be. It enables us to assume that we have something to learn and something to say and that if we are wrong in the process, it's going to be okay. Is your battle to battle or is your battle to learn? Sung Cha Ra suggests each disagreement can be either a battle of messages or a learning conversation. If it's a battle of messages, I am to prove my point and persuade you that I am right. In a learning conversation, I assume that there are important things that I don't know. In a battle of messages, we fight over who gets to be right, while a learning conversation places a higher value on learning than scoring points and proving yourself correct. Consider the effect that getting this right would have on your tone, your intensity, and the frequency of your conflicts. And this is how the gospel frees us. At the heart of the gospel is the promise that even though sinners are often wrong, we are treated by God as if we have never done wrong and have always been righteous. Christ's righteousness, imputed on us, given to us, justifies us before God and positions us so that even if we're wrong, we're not under the weight of being condemned. So search the scriptures. The scriptures teach us to doubt ourselves. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Never be wise in your own sight. Let the word of God pierce you. We need to learn better how to coexist humbly and teachably. To do this, we need to be more willing to admit that in most disagreements, we may very well be wrong. By wrong, it doesn't have to be totally wrong. I mean wrong in opinion, attitude, word choice, emphasis, tone, grasp of the relevant information, and even timing. We should enter every dispute confident there will be something for us to learn, something to confess, something we didn't know that we ought to have known. 
why don't you stand? And let's just invite the Holy Spirit to seal this and work in us this morning. Holy Spirit, we just welcome you. Thank you that when we're invited to turn towards the gospel, it's by your kindness. You're not sitting here with a stick trying to beat us in the submission. You're looking us eye to eye. You're looking at your kids, those that have been so tense, those that can hardly speak to one another. And you're looking them both in the face, screaming at them of your love, your kindness, what you have sacrificed for them and inviting them to realign themselves into the kind of family that can process through and step into the tensions of life with the gospel being the focus, with the message never changing, with our identity sealing us in who we are, and with the posture of listening to those who do not agree. Put your hand on your heart and say, I'm not intimidated by being wrong. I can listen without speaking. I see some marriages getting restored too. This is like the fringe benefits. (laughs) Assume responsibility. Make that... Make that a goal of every day. What can I take responsibility after in my life? Who are people that I can find that need my bologna sandwich more than I do? That guy needed the bologna sandwich even though he had a pack full of food. What did he need to see? He needed to see that there was someone out there that was looking out for him and that he could do the same. It shifted the trajectory of the rest of his life. He thought about that man for the rest of his trip and the rest of his life. Who's going to think about you for the rest of their life because of one act? One act. I just feel the Holy Spirit breaking the mindsets that you have to get somewhere in your career or your accomplishment or what you have accumulated in order to actually be a blessing or to make an impact in the world. It's a lie from hell. It's a lie from hell. If we can be the kind of family that takes on the posture of responsibility right now, regardless of what we have in the fridge, regardless of what we have in the bank account, regardless of what we have in accomplishment, all of a sudden we're a different kind of dangerous. We have a different kind of hope, a different kind of peace, a different kind of something to give. It's tangible and it's present and it's right in front of you. It's right in front of you. True wisdom, true humility. Remember how the gospel frees you. And remember how your posture is the only thing that is going to give people access to inviting you in and to opening up. Sometimes you need to walk towards them down the freeway. Sometimes you need to just uncross the arms of your heart, uncross the daggers of your fingers. You're about to type back that perfect message. It'll show them. Assume you're wrong in some way, shape, or form. We assume. I assume I'm wrong. Now, 
Let's release the joy on the other side of the cross, Holy Spirit. Release the joy on the other side of the cross that sets free. When we let go, when we surrender to him, he shows you the reward that he paid for. Let's receive that joy right now.